1: Now here's your host, Mike Carlin.
0: Hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm pleased to introduce you to best-selling author and humorist, Susan Reinhardt. Susan's book, Chimes from a Cracked Southern Bell, won the Independent Publisher Book Award for Best Regional Fiction, and Tantor Media recently bought the audio rights. She joins me today to talk about her career and latest book, The Beautiful Misfits. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Susan.
2: Thank you so much, Mike. I just so appreciate you having me.
0: Susan, I appreciate you being here, and I'm going to ask you the question I ask everybody as we begin these, which is, where does your story as an author begin?
2: It begins with heartbreak, Mike. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It began when I was probably 13, and oh, of course, you know, I was in love with a boy who didn't know I existed, so I would retreat to my parents' attic with uh, a red notebook and pen the most horrific angst poetry, woebegone poetry you've ever read. That's where the journey began.
0: Well, you know, a lot of uh, wonderful things do come from heartbreak, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> I
2: haven't found one yet.
0: <laughs> well, you you are a best-selling published author, so I, I think that, that counts.
2: Well, thank you. <laughs>
0: um well tell me when when did you start writing um more longer form things you know other than other than poetry
2: okay well the first thing i wrote after the poetry uh was a play in high school and it was pretty crappy too but i started writing short stories when i was a teenager and then it grew to the point that I wanted to study journalism. I went to the University of Georgia, go Dogs! national championships twice. And um, so I was going to study journalism. And my dad, I think he'd had a bourbon or two. He he said, oh, Susan, I don't think you ought to do that. That's that's an iffy career writing. I I believe you ought to be a nurse because you'll always have a job. And if you're. If you get fat, you know, I don't know. He always would say if we got fat, we wouldn't have a husband. Not that not that I wanted one at that time anyway. But he just suggested that I go to nursing school. And so, Mike, I did for two years. And it, it was not for me. I got too attached to the patients. And um, I just decided... I'm not going to listen to my dad. I'm 19. So I changed to journalism and then began a career in newspapers and magazines as a syndicated humor and human interest columnist.
0: So why uh humor and human interest?
2: Well, I come I'm from Georgia, South Carolina and North Carolina. So we're just from a whole family of storytellers. My dad's written a couple of books and I loved loved Louis Grizzard and Irma Bombeck. and sometimes I think I'm funny. So, um, you know, I wrote two humor books that were bestsellers before I started writing novels, and um, that's sort of how the jump went. I've been out of the newspaper business for about eight years, and and mostly just focused on writing books,
0: novels. Well, tell me- Tell me about that first book you wrote that, that first humor book that became a bestseller.
2: So so it was called not tonight, honey, wait till I'm a size six. And I had an agent, a great agent in New York, and um, he got us a three book deal, but that one did the best. I was able to get a, a divorce, um, a house and a breast lift and reduction with that book. So that's why I call it, I call it a bestseller. And it was humorous essays. Yeah. Of course, you know, exaggerated, but short stories that were funny.
0: Um so but it seems like it 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 did something positive in your life.
2: It it absolutely did. It 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 led me to my second and final and wonderful husband. <laughs> and and it reduced the size of my breath
0: <laughs> you got a reduction with that
2: one. oh yeah and 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 a house though yeah
0: well very good um talk to me about sort of the the differences between you know writing non-fiction and writing fiction and, and kind of moving to writing fiction well fiction
2: was was my dream Um, probably since college. And I read, the, I read the handmaid's tale and I used to read Anne Tyler's wonderful novels. She's, I think she's from Baltimore and I just knew that I wanted to write books and I wanted to write about serious topics, but not, not have it be so depressing that you felt like you'd been gutted like a fish. So I sent my novel, I can't remember, it was the predecessor for Chimes from a Crack: Southern Bell, my debut novel. I sent it to my agent. He shopped it. We got glowing rejections, but I didn't get a bite on it at that time. And so he suggested that I write humor books, and I did. And after three or four of those, I went back to the chimes southern bell manuscript and and rewrote it and then got it published
0: do you feel like that book was it was too soon to write that book or or you didn't i don't want to say well, you didn't know enough but did you need that experience of, of writing the humor before you could turn back to writing fiction
2: i'm i'm not sure because i do put a lot of humor in my fiction but at the time that those books came out it was during the big recession in 2000 seven six seven in 2008 and it was easier it was easier for my agent to sell non-fiction at that time than fiction
0: yeah i mean certainly a period of time where we all could have used some laughs
2: yeah exactly and um maybe that was his nice way of saying that my book just wasn't ready for prime time and right. try something else
0: Well, you know, I I talk to a lot of authors who, you know, write, you know, two or three manuscripts before they get one that's, you know, gets the gets the attention or interest of an agent, let alone a publisher. And then sometimes they go back, you know, after they've they've had some more life experiences, they've learned a few things about publishing and they go back and revisit those manuscripts, which it sounds sounds like that that was what happened to you as well.
2: It did, and and you're so right about that. A lot of my author friends do the same. Um, some keep them in that quote drawer forever and never let them see another moment moment of light. But right now, I have uh, Mike. I have four manuscripts that are in various stages of edits and completion. Two are complete. Of course, you you always, as an author, you you find yourself not really complete. I mean, I could edit for years if somebody didn't say stop, stop rewriting, just let it go. But interestingly, my very first book I ever wrote was called Swimming in the Sky. And it was a young adult novel set in the 70s in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And it's still in my drawer. And Mike, I'm going to dig it out. I keep saying, you know, it has promise. I'm just going to, see what I can do with it.
0: Sure. Well, what can you share with us about The Beautiful Misfits?
2: The Beautiful Misfits um, is a story of hope and heartbreak and, of course, humor. Um, I had a son who had problems with addictions, mainly alcohol, but he's now 30. He's clean and sober, but a lot of his friends I mean, they were overdosing from the um, from the opioid epidemic. Um, the pills on the streets, the Xanax, the Percocet, the Oxy that they would buy was laced with fentanyl, and several of them died. I mean, my son carried Narcan on him because he's uh, a couple of his friends were addicts to that. Now, I was fortunate that my son was not in the opioids because he was you know he was afraid but the alcohol was devastating so I didn't want the book to be depressing and I had taken a job as a makeup artist for Longcomb cosmetics so I was a regional makeup artist and I saw everything at those mall makeup counters I mean the funniest stories would happen there and I thought I'm going to write about a mother of an opioid epidemic, but I'm going to have her be a makeup artist in a in a local mall, and so that adds levity. You know, it adds humor to release the pressure valve of the the serious topic, but one we should be talking about.
0: I mean, it, it, is, it is sort of hard to to make light of it, but um, you know, on the other hand, um, humor might be healing. Uh, well, it was, and yeah.
2: I didn't use flippant slapstick humor. Um, I sort of just let the humor become like a character. I would use character traits to offset the um, the hardline topic, and so the the book is not really light. It's it's pretty serious, but I would call it book club fiction. And you know, Mike, when I read a serious novel. I still want to laugh. I I don't want to walk away feeling like I need to just take to the bed. (laughs) You know, I just want to give me a laugh, you know, make it heartbreaking, make it riveting and life changing. But please throw in something that lightens the mood.
0: Well, it's, it's the author's superpower, which is the ability to move a reader with, with emotion. And I don't, I don't think, you know, even a, a book that is a thriller can also have humor in it. You know, I think oh, Dean, right. you know, Dean Koontz does that very well, you know, even though he's writing about some dark stuff and you're kind of on the edge of your seat, there's always like some comedic relief in there. Because if you don't release the tension for the reader somehow, mm-hmm. um, You know, they're the reader. You know, is 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 kind of maybe left in an emotional state that they don't want to be in.
2: Right. I mean, I I love the author who wrote Lessons in Chemistry. It was a pretty dark book, but it used a lot of humor. Um, Have you heard of that one, Mike? I've not. No. Or Eleanor. You've probably heard of Eleanor Oliphant is just fine, and that was another great one that took a quirky sort of character that was dealing with being on the autism spectrum disorder and just made it really enjoyable because of the, the humorous parts.
0: Yeah. So that's um, what
2: I, that's what I strive to do.
0: Yeah. No, that's one of my daughter's favorite books, actually. (laughs) She just, yeah. One of those, you know, Reese Witherspoon uh, book club books, but
2: exactly. um, Yep. Um, so well you write books too, don't you,
0: Mike? I do. I do write books. I write um I write in the, the sort of the humorous um mystery type vein for the most part. I've written a couple of just straight up comedies, uh, but you know, for the most part it's like these quirky humorous mysteries where wow. would, it's uh I try and balance oh, my hero, my writing hero is Carl Hyacin. And, and um,
2: love Carl, yes.
0: <laughs> he uh yeah. He, um, you know, he uh, I I kind of use him as as my North Star. So I try and create, you know, like kind of really over the top, you know, colorful villains and, you know, quirky, snarky, sarcastic <laughs> heroes. That
2: sounds, that sounds like absolutely something I would love to read.
0: Well, I will I will uh, pre I will plug my books for you offline so we don't okay, bore the great. audience. so we don't bore my audience because this is about you. It's not about me.
2: I know, but let me ask you this because <laughs> sure. I used to be an interviewer myself as a reporter. How many manuscripts do you have in your drawer
0: <laughs> gathering dust? <laughs> <laughs> this just came up on an episode earlier today. I have uh, three, three that are oh. gathering dust. Um, one of those I have used and and put into another novel. So it was, um, I took elements of it, sort of the core pieces of that one. And I Mm -hmm. did put into, I I repurposed it into another novel.
2: I think Um, that's very common. I do that too. Um,
0: Yeah. Cause there were never throw
2: anything, you know, never throw anything pretty decent away because it can always be recycled or expanded upon.
0: No, oh, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. Like I didn't, I didn't think like, you know, when I, when I analyzed that manuscript, I'm like, it, it, it's good, but it's missing something. And I might be able to use this in another way. And then years later, I came up with this idea and uh, it just worked in, in a different novel.
2: Exactly. Things like that come to me when I'm on the edge of sleep. Right. Um, not quite asleep, not quite awake. And then I have these wonderful ideas and I jot them down in my phone in the notes, the notes in the iPhone. And then when I wake up, they're horrible. It's like, <laughs> oh gosh, no, no, that would never work.
0: Did, did you? I, that happens all the time. And I do the same thing with the notes app on my phone. Um, I and I'll look at it in the morning. I'll be like, what was I thinking? Um, I
2: know. And and these are these are sober times, too. I mean, <laughs> it's sad when your sober thoughts are just not as brilliant as you thought.
0: Well, that's true. That's true. Uh, but there is something about that middle of the night thought that you think is so great. Um, maybe right. it's because you have maybe nothing else on your mind and it's the only thing you're thinking of. My problem is sometimes those thoughts keep me up at night, but then in the morning they don't pay off.
2: They don't. Well, every now and then, I'd say about ten percent of them, in my experience, turn out to be worthwhile. So, it's it's a little bit productive.
0: I used to, you know, drive my kids are. We have triplets. They're almost twenty one years old. Oh
2: my gosh!
0: And but I would drive them to school in the morning, and if I was writing something, I would ask. <laughs> I would sometimes ask them, and if a thought came to me when I'm driving. Because thoughts uh-huh. come to me off, often when I'm driving. I would have them, I'd be like, hey, uh, Patrick, can you text me, you know, such and such? And it'll be some like really wacky thing. Like a uh, killer has knife, but blah, blah, blah. And he'd be like-
2: Oh my gosh.
0: He'd be like, I don't know why I'm doing this. This makes no sense, but Okay. And so they were, they were used to like these really random requests for me when I'm driving. Do, but...
2: do they read your books? Because my children pretend like they read mine, but I, I don't know that they really do.
0: I've written eight and no one in my house has has written, has read. Um, certainly no one has read all of them. Some of them have read one of them.
2: Hey, well, that's that's pretty good to get a 21-year-old to read. I wish more people... Were readers. I I read somewhere that only about forty percent or less than the whole population reads books.
0: No, I did. We we must have done something right because all three of them. um, We have two girls and a boy. They are all avid readers. So that's excellent. We did something right along. Yes, you did along the way. Um, Yeah, my daughter. One of them is in Cancun right now, and uh, I'm sure she has three books with her.
2: Well, and, you know, I think when I think of Cancun, I go back in the day to the first husband. So it's sort of a a <laughs> blighted memory for me.
0: Well, but, I, I, but I, I, young
2: people will have fun in Cancun. It is a fun place.
0: Yeah. Apologies for bringing up bad memories. but No
2: worries. I think I'm <laughs> over it. It's been 20 years.
0: Well, yeah, there you go. There you go. Oh, I'm,
2: huh. I'm dating myself.
0: So so now you know now that you've had success as a writer um you know is well first of all is your father still around?
2: He is. He's fantastic. He's he's 87 and I believe he's really happy now that I'm not a nurse and
0: <laughs> I was going to say what what was his take on your on your career um pivot from nursing to journalism and now being an author?
2: Um my dad He and I are pretty opposite, but he he made peace with the fact that I'm a free spirit. So he's been very supportive. He you know, he was a businessman in corporate America. And then when he retired, he decided he'd do a little preaching on the side. So when when he when he teaches Sunday school or fills in for the pastor as the preacher and I have a book coming out, he'll he'll actually promote him. I call it hawking. He'll hawk my books, and then he'll tell the congregation. He'll say, now, my daughter, she she uses some colorful language, so uh, be prepared. <laughs> and if you read this, you know, you might have to go to altar call. But they, <laughs> but they buy them. You know, Baptists aren't as um, innocent as you think they are. They just ask for forgiveness a lot.
0: That's right. Well, I think we Catholics can say the same thing. Right. <laughs> Um, one of the ways I'd like to get to know my guests a little bit more is by diving into pop culture a little bit. So I'm curious, Susan, when, when you were growing up, what were some of your favorite <laughs> things to watch on TV?
2: Oh gosh, this is going to make me sound like I'm a hundred years old. I liked Gilligan's Holland. <laughs> I dream of Jeannie, um, the wonderful world of Disney would have movies when I was growing up. Um, oh, yeah. We only we only had three three channels. And um no cell phones, just your regular well the princess phone came into be, you know, the little pink princess phone Sure. But
0: sure.
2: My big thing more than television was music and I was madly madly in love with Peter Frampton and was sort of a groupie for a little while. You probably so,
0: don't know who he is. Oh, I, 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 not only do I know who he is, I saw him live about 15 years ago. He came through, uh, I oh. live in Stamford, Connecticut. He came to the Palace Theater. I How saw wonderful. him and he was fantastic.
2: Yes. And, and you remember the double album that he had, Frampton oh. Comes Alive with the long curly hair. He was, yeah, he, he was he... right up my alley, Mike.
0: Well, he did not have that long curly hair when I saw him.
2: No. And, and, you know, I got to interview him over the telephone when I was working as a newspaper writer. So that was sort of a thrill.
0: Oh, that's but cool. I would
2: say growing up, you know, I really loved Frampton and the Eagles. I still go see the Eagles concerts. They're wonderful.
0: Oh, even without even without Glenn Frey.
2: Right. Because his son is um, singing and he's pretty good. He's filling yeah. in for him.
0: They've got Deacon. Yeah, Deacon is his son's name, right? And then... um Yes. Who, who is it um, also that's in the band now? Um Don Henley? Yeah, well, you got Don Henley, of course. Joe Walsh. Oh,
2: wait, the country guy. Uh, yes,
0: oh. yeah. Who, who is it? Um, It'll come to me when I'm not thinking about it, because he's the one who's actually responsible for getting them back together to do that Hell Freezes Over album like 20 years ago.
2: Oh, I he, didn't know that. Yeah,
0: he had them in one of his music videos and then, you know, they were all on the set, um, with the video. And then that's what got them to start talking again. And why they named their album hell freezes over because they got back together after hell froze over. Oh, that's
2: great. It isn't Chris Stapleton. Is
0: it? No, no, it's not Chris Stapleton.
2: Tim um, McGraw.
0: No, not Tim Ugh. McGraw either. Uh, it'll come to me in a moment. Um, yes. Vince we Gill. have adult it's Vince children. Gill. I, that's it
2: yay yeah. you did it
0: i did i did well no, i prayed i prayed to our lady of google and she gave me the answer She.
2: oh i see what you did you <laughs> cheated of course Wait, we're we're actually going to see the eagles we've seen them maybe four or five times but we're going again in april because they're going to be in the south
0: for yeah, a very tour. good yep. very good well you read my mind because my next question was what were you listening to growing up and you already told me
2: a lot of jackson brown um you know, Leonard Skinnerd was the first concert I ever went to and just, you know, I was a rock and roll girl. But um, Mike, when I went to college at the University of Georgia, REM and the B-52s were just starting to really rise in popularity. So we got to see them free. And one of the guys in REM, not Michael Stipe, but he was in one of my magazine writing classes and... We used to swap manuscripts. We would swap our magazine stories and he marked mine up with so much red pen. I was devastated. <laughs>
0: <laughs> was it was it Peter Buck?
2: No, I can't it was it was Roger it was Roger something. Okay. With a D. I know it was Roger with a D, but I'm not sure. He might have been their manager.
0: Okay, sure.
2: But we would yeah. ride by their house and they had um they had a yard full of those plastic pink flamingos. There must've been hundred of them. And oh, wow. they dressed them in clothes and pearls and beads. It was pretty funny.
0: <laughs> um, those,
2: those were the days.
0: Those were the days. Uh, what about favorite movies? Any, any favorite movies that you have?
2: Hmm. Well, I, I not I liked, um, the holiday. What was it? The holiday. Uh, it was a swap movie with,
0: um, Oh sure. Yeah. Um, with who was in that Jack Black Cameron. may have been in that, um, Cameron Diaz, Jack yes. Black.
2: Right. That was so good. And, um, we, we just started watching Daisy Jones and the six on Netflix.
0: Oh, my daughter uh, loved that book.
2: It was a great book by Taylor Jenkins Reed and, so we've watched 3 of those. I, I watch a lot of Netflix. My favorite show ever, a lot of people have never heard of it is Wentworth. It's Australian and it it's set at a women's prison in Australia. And it sounds like a duplicate of Orange is the New Black, but it is so much better. The acting and the writing is phenomenal.
0: Yeah, oh, I'll have to put that on my list. I'm always looking for good things to watch.
2: Yes, I haven't been to the movies, movies since probably COVID. Hmm. I just sit on my couch with my blankets <laughs> and watch stream, you know, I just stream stuff.
0: Sure. Just, you know, I, I know you mentioned Gilligan's Island before, and I'm just curious as to your take on this. The professor could make a radio out of coconuts and an exercise bike, but... He couldn't, you know, patch up the boat so they can get back to uh, you know, wherever <laughs> they took that three hour tour from. Is that does that not strike you as odd?
2: I never thought of it. I probably didn't think of the show as deeply as you did. So it makes perfect sense. There, um that's a big flaw. That's a huge flaw in the plot.
0: I, I will overanalyze everything.
2: Good job solving that. And when you figure out the meaning of I dream of Jeannie and that sort of thing. You just let me know. I'm You're probably really, younger than I am. Oh,
0: oh, oh Believe me, Larry Hagman, uh, Barbara Eden. I know that show very well.
2: Yes. And <laughs> I'm sure there were other shows growing up like the Partridge family and love boat. And you know, all of those.
0: There's nothing wrong with love boat. I watched love boat to this day.
2: Oh yeah. I, I didn't know. I still watch Sanford and son and, uh, well, Mary Tyler Moore, just the classics.
0: Sure, sure. They they don't make TV like that anymore. That's for sure.
2: No, but if you if you watch the old if you watch the old shows and they've not been what digitized, they they're blurry.
0: Yeah, they are.
2: We had poor quality film growing up.
0: We sure did. So, but we all survived. Yeah,
2: yes, we did. <laughs> mostly i like to read though at night i I love to read other writers in different genres so even though i i write book club women's fiction you know i'll i'll read mystery or thriller i've started to kind of and it might be an age thing but i've started to get into true crime i'm a little worried about where my mind is going
0: any favorite true crime that you're uh, reading now
2: Well, I'm watching it. I'm cheating. Oh, okay. The the
0: Murdoch, you know. Oh, um, I just started watching that on Netflix.
2: Yes. Well, my second cousin lives on property adjacent to Moselle where it all happened. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I've been into that, but lately it's just been this book stuff. And, you know, while I love getting out and marketing I'm a little bit of an introvert and I'd rather be upstairs in my little hidey hole, writing other books <laughs> than than going out in person. I don't, have you ever prom- promoted a book of yours? Oh, and-
0: sure. Yeah. I used to do, um, you know, we have a Barnes and Noble here in town that, um, you know, we'll will let me do book signings and there's a, a great bookstore up on Cape Cod where we vacation that I've, I've done some, some signings, but you know, That's a lot of cool. it, in, like this day and age, it's it's mostly done virtually. You know, through through Zoom, and and I'll join book clubs, like local book clubs, uh, if they're reading something I've written. Um,
2: oh, I love that idea.
0: That's yeah, fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, great way to build, you know, connection with your with your readers as well.
2: Well, obviously, if I don't get my technical abilities straightened out, I won't be able to zoom with book clubs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, well let's let's just assume today could have been a fluke
2: maybe so. maybe it was meant to be that i wasn't on the camera
0: well um you certainly were camera ready i'll say that
2: well thank you thank you
0: um what about in terms of you know lessons you've learned along the way you know, going through your writing career, you know, starting with, you know, writing a manuscript and pivoting to fiction, I'm pivoting to sort of humor and then going back to fiction. What are some big takeaways you have that you would, you know, that you would maybe share with uh, an aspiring author?
2: Certainly. First, I think the general rule is, and rules are meant to be broken, is it is easier to break into the craft if you write nonfiction I've heard other authors say that because there's, you know, there's a huge market for nonfiction and a lot of the fiction that's really, really popular today is by the same small, small number of authors, you know, like your Colleen Hoovers and, uh, well, Ann Tyler and Dean Koontz and and Daniel Steele. Those are the ones that are consistently on the bestseller list and crowd in the market. That doesn't mean you should give up and just, you know, write a cookbook or something, but it is a good way to break in. Um, If you don't want to do that and you want to write fiction, you just better have, like, an armadillo shell that just ensconces your entire body because a lot of would-be aspiring writers, they absolutely give up the... the first 10 rejections they get some even sooner, Mike. But I mean, since I started in my twenties, I, I would hate to even count the number of rejections I have. And and there've been successes too, but it is a daunting, as you know, heartbreaking business where you can't take anything personally.
0: Oh, you have to be persistent yeah and, and have a thick skin because you're right it is it is a at first um and even you know a while even into your writing career having you know maybe one or two publications under your belt That that's no guarantee that another agent or your existing agent is gonna you know be into your your new idea
2: you're absolutely right i had two of the best literary agents one was Ethan Ellenberg I don't mind sharing the other was Holly Root who is the agent for you know the duo team Christina Lauren um, a lot of other I think maybe even Taylor Jenkins Reid is with Holly's literary agent but um, after I parted with Ethan during that bad recession. I just focused on my newspaper career and I took about 10 years off writing. So now, and this is hard, um, as an author who had some success and, you know, now I'm older and I'm trying to get a literary agent. I'm not trying lately, but I did try and I got pretty close. I got a lot of rejections and this is something other authors need to know. You absolutely don't need a literary agent. I had offers on the Beautiful Misfits from lots of publishers. Um, And I decided to go with Regal House because they're in North Carolina and they have some wonderful, wonderful books and authors, just phenomenal literary works. I'm a little shocked that they took on my commercial fiction. Um, So, yeah, don't. Skip the smaller traditional publishers. A lot of authors are doing hybrid too, but that that's a little costly.
0: Oh, sure, sure. And I just was talking to somebody earlier today who had a tremendous amount of success writing just for Kindle Vella. Are you familiar with Kindle Kindle Vella?
2: I have heard of it, and it is it just the ebook novellas, or yeah,
0: it's well, it's basically e- it's definitely ebook, and then. What you short. do is you you write short, basically short scenes, um, oh. and it, you kind of like publish, you know, scene by scene, maybe twenty, anywhere between maybe two thousand to five thousand words, um, and you just publish them regularly. And this particular author had such a big following doing that, it led her to a traditional publishing deal. So there there are so many different ways of of getting published now, and there's a lot of disruption within publishing.
2: That you're absolutely right and you know some people just think if i don't have a literary agent that's it i'm giving up i'm quitting and to them i say don't you know um your book can get if you go for the big five you know it shrinks every year in a few years it's going to be the big two publishers right. Right. Um that doesn't necessarily mean that your book is going to stand out any more than if you went with a reputable small publisher. Yeah. I mean, even the big companies now, they don't have the marketing budgets that they used to.
0: Yeah. I agree. Even if you're, if even if you're published by, you know, Penguin Random House, you're still doing your own marketing for the most part.
2: Exactly. So I don't know. I just, my biggest advice is what you said, circling back. I mean, you can't give up and, that's what happens to so many i mean you can take a good beating with the rejections and the heartbreak that comes from it but that just makes the little glimmers of you know positives that come come our way just feel that much better it's like it's like you know a treat that rarely comes or i guess for some authors it's instantaneous success but for the vast majority of us it's it's a slow process but it can be very rewarding
0: yeah that that's uh that's very true um you know it strikes me you've had some you've worn a few different hats in terms of you tried your hand at nursing and journalism <laughs> and author you mentioned something about you know uh being a, a regional makeup artist for who's at lancome
2: yes yeah um That was the most fun job ever.
0: (laughs) I'm sure the people watching was pretty amazing there.
2: It was. And you know what I think I'm going to do? I might run a contest. You know how you do giveaways when you're doing promotions? I'm thinking about running a contest where I give away three makeovers. And I just fix people up. (laughs) Give them a free book and a makeover.
0: But what I'm curious about though is is there a career that you'd want to try that um you know you haven't tried so far
2: yes I would love to be a dolphin trainer
0: now tell me more about that because that that's a unique response
2: <laughs> well I've always you know I thought I was going to go into marine biology and I'm obsessed with sea life. I used to live at St. John when I was younger in the U S Virgin islands. And I go Mm. there every year and I just love being under the water because I think the world below us is so much more serene than what's above us. And (laughs) (laughs) for my 60th birthday, which was very, very recent, um, I went to Isla Marata where they filmed oh, sure. Bloodlines yeah. another great show plug for Bloodlines and I paid and swam for about an hour with a bunch of dolphins and I watched the trainers and I even ordered a book how to be a dolphin trainer because one of my newest books that's in a mid stage of edits the character is a dolphin trainer Oh, how cool. Now, I mean, if I could be anything and have the talent to do it, it would be an ice skater. <laughs> but I can't ice skate at
0: all. Well, that makes two of us. I mean, I can ice skate, but certainly uh, I could stand up and I could go forward. But that's about it. Going backward is, is not, not happening.
2: Now, I'm going to guess, Mike, what your dream career would be.
0: Oh, if... I'd love it. Yes. Okay, me. Let
2: me let me guess you would be probably the lead singer and guitarist for a rock band.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, um, I do have some guitars behind me. That does not mean I can play them very well.
2: Well, at least you have them, you know. that. <laughs> what is it my friend calls that? Our fantasy selves. True. Um,
0: very true. Very true. Now, my singing ability is not there.
2: Well, I certainly can't sing either. And I'm really <laughs> hoarse today because we've um, we've been cheering for Carolina Duke. Oh, we got, oh yep.
0: <laughs> well, who are you going for North Carolina or Duke?
2: Oh, don't say Duke.
0: Carolina. <laughs> hey, look, I'm a UConn fan. And I remember what Duke did to us um, in the Christian Laettner days. So oh, uh, right. I, I'm no fan of Duke. And, and I will I will say this. University of Connecticut Huskies beat Duke in the, uh, NCAA finals 1999. Um, and, uh, Excellent. so I'm, I'm very happy. And of course, North Carolina, you've got Michael Jordan as a great, uh, a great alum.
2: You do. And my husband played basketball with him. My husband went to Carolina and played basketball for two years. Oh, no kidding. That's fantastic. Yep. Yeah, that's why I'm a huge fan, but, the Bulldogs, they're my team.
0: Well, they're your team. And they they certainly had a couple of good years, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I know we, we talked about sort of advice you would give, you know, an aspiring author. But what I'm really curious about, Susan, is if you could go back in time and whisper some words of advice into your younger self, what are some things you would tell the younger Susan?
2: <laughs> Don't party so much in college. Don't go to nursing school. Um, Start reading more books earlier. Um, You never need a man. Be your own person and um, just be confident in who you are. Look for your strengths and not your flaws. I tend to look at all of my flaws. So, I mean, just love yourself give yourself room to laugh and to make mistakes and yes. not hold yourself like oh my god oh my god my past i'm such a horrible person you know get over it
0: yeah it's so it's so you know i ask that question to everybody i talk to and there is always some element of be kinder to yourself um that that yeah, typically exactly. comes up Especially when you're
2: a teenager, you know, we're so, oh, I would tell myself not to join a sorority as well, because I did join one. And for the most part, it was not a fit.
0: (laughs) My, my, uh, one of my girls, um, had the same experience. So she, she was a member of, you know, big, you know, one of the biggest national sororities. And this year, this is her junior year. She, she, um, became a member as a freshman, and right. she just, she just came to us and she's like, I think I'm, I'm going to drop. And I said to her, you know, you've got one more year left, you know, you've got one more really, you know, cause the whole recruitment thing really gets her down. She doesn't like that.
2: No, because you're cruel to other girls who and, are trying to get in the sorority. You know, you judge what they do, what their parents do for a living, what kind of car they drop, what they're wearing, how they look. It's very superficial.
0: And she gave me like a little inside baseball about how it all goes down and they all get lists, you know, the summer before, you know, the the fall of, you know, when, when prospective new members are entering and they, they look at these, you know, young women on social media, they, they make a short list of who they want. And then through the prod, the recruitment process, there's all this rating and voting and it's terrible. It's so not my daughter. Like she is so friendly and and open to everybody and she's like look i i joined and i thought it was going to be more i mean she doesn't really know most of the girls in her chapter her her best friends in in the world are her roommates who are not in in the sorority and you know she
2: she, was probably in the same one i was in it sounds so similar (laughs) but i hate to throw them under the bus well we
0: won't say we won't say it on the on the podcast neither one of us needs to get we should say
2: what the first letter starts with
0: okay i'll say it alpha try (laughs) okay (laughs) okay um i think um, people can
2: figure that out i always wanted to write a always wanted to write a novel about it and then one of my author friends she wrote a fabulous book we have the same agent holly root and she wrote rush um, get your daughter to pick up a copy of Rush.
0: Oh yeah, I, I think I've heard of Rush.
2: Yes, yeah, it, it's all about the sorority system in. I think it's set in Alabama or Mississippi.
0: Mm. Well, I know. I mean, my daughter's in a northern school, and I know there's a huge difference between you know southern schools and and northern schools with the Greek system. But um...
2: it sounds pretty similar. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe she'll write a book about it there's there's so many books i want to write but i'm running out of time and i'm a huge procrastinator oh i would tell other writers you know don't say that you're going to make time you hear it over and over but you absolutely have to make time when i was working as a news reporter and a feature writer and columnist I wanted more than anything to write that first book, not tonight, honey. And I would get off work, do the whole thing, the dinner, the sports stuff, the homework with my kids. And about midnight till two in the morning, I'm, I made a point of writing every night and I finished that book in six months. So it's doable.
0: Um, you know, unfortunately the title of your book, I've, or or most of the title of your book I've heard all too often. Um not but, tonight, honey.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You should have. You should have heard my daddy trying to hawk that one to the congregation.
0: <laughs> I'm sure that was a little tricky.
2: It was. That's probably that's my naughtiest book.
0: Well, I, I have, I have, I have a naughty book as well, um, which Uh-oh. even has a naughty word in the title. Unfortunately, I um, saw
2: that when I was, you know, I did a little research on you and I saw that and I tried to find it. So you need to send me a link where I can order that. Oh
0: yeah, it's 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 available all over um all over, but I'll send you a link after this conversation.
2: Perfect. Great. Um,
0: I have to say the audiobook of that is fantastic. Did Just you the, narrate it? I did not, but I hired somebody who was, you know, he became the character and he was so good. Um he's actually a well-known voiceover artist.
2: Wow, um, I, I'm gonna
0: do the audio of it then. Yeah, it's it'll you know, it's up there on Audible, but I'll send you a link after this.
2: Thank um, you. Uh,
0: well, you know, Susan, we're pretty much out of time here, and I think we've covered just about everything except yes. if you if have. people want to get a hold of you, Susan, where can they find you? Either website or social media or all of the above.
2: Um, all of the above. I I love to. Believe it or not, Mike, I can zoom. I don't know what happened to my equipment today. I want to blame it on you, but I know it's my fault. Um, I love to go to book clubs and um I have lots of swag. You know, you know what author swag is. I have a lot of fun stuff sure. for for book clubs. My website is www.SusanReinhardt.com, and you spell Reinhart R-E-I-N. HARDT and all my social media stuff is under that name as well.
0: All right. I'll be sure to put your website as well as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram in our show notes so listeners can easily look that up. Thank uh, you Mike. And uh, of course the forthcoming book is The Beautiful Miss uh, The Beautiful Misfits. This this interview will be out after your publication date so I imagine it will be available wherever books are sold.
2: Probably because my publication date was supposed to be yesterday, but it looks like it came out this weekend. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. Well, I really enjoyed that. This was a fun, fun interview.
0: Well, I thought so too, Susan, but because you made it fun.
2: No, you did.
0: (laughs) Well, well, we can both take credit.
2: Let's do. Let's
0: do. (laughs) Well, Susan, thank you for stopping by uncorking a story and letting me uncork yours.
2: Um, I appreciate it. Thank you, Mike.